Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Clinical Podcast. Today, I'm here again with the BSPSS, and this is part of CND's collaboration with the BSPSS to bring you all things sleep. You can find all our content in the CND communities under the bedroom. Everything you need to know about sleep should be available there. If you have any questions or any concerns, please feel free to comment and let us know. Today, I'm very happy to be joined by Joanna Kepax. So without any further ado, Joanna, very welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's good to be here. Oh, thank you. So could you just give us a quick introduction about what your current role is and how you're involved with the BSPSS? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I'm a nurse and I'm a sleep practitioner and nurse prescriber, the founder of a company called Why Sleep and also the Sleep Retreat. Basically, the work that I do, I'm sort of adult trained and also pediatric trained. And I sort of see meet with clients with insomnia difficulties, both on a one to one basis and in groups to try and really help them sleep better and to almost sort of evangelize about the message of sleep so that's that's really sort of where I come from my background in the last 10 years of my NHS career was in mental health in child and adolescent mental health so that's where I sort of really got the bug as it were and I was seeing children with sort of ADHD sort of type symptoms and then I sort of realized that not all of them had got ADHD and sleep deprivation was actually the cause of an awful lot of their issues. So that's where I sort of started. So I left the NHS after it nearly finished me off um, in 2017 and started working independently and did lots of sort of work with various sort of universities on really brushing up my skills and worked with Oxford University to do my cognitive behavioural therapy for insomnia training. And then I got sort of involved in just going on LinkedIn, I think it was, and I linked up with Adrian Zaka, and it was from there we started having a conversation about how sleep difficulties are not even discussed pretty much. And certainly from a pharmacy point of view, who is the first professional that majority of of people, who do they meet? And it's the pharmacists. And, you know, we just sort of thought, gosh, this is really crazy that, you know, we've got these highly skilled, highly trained health professionals that are seeing people at the point of need and yet are not discussing sleep issues. And that's where we decided to sort of try and form a charity to make a difference. So that's how we we all got together. And then Adrian, with his great skills of networking, gathered a few other sort of health professionals and pharmacists and pharmacist researchers and there's a whole I think there's about seven of us now who who meet all together and yeah that that's what that's what we're aiming to do really is to sort of really skill up pharmacists to to sort of recognize sleep difficulties much more quickly. That is really amazing. So basically, I met Adrian at the pharmacy show and he sold the BS and the need for it. <laughs> there is a podcast with He's myself. A good and salesman, Adrian, isn't so, he? Yes. There's a podcast with myself and Adrian. So do feel free to have a listen to that as well. What I wanted to ask is basically just to take it right from the beginning. Why do us and patients and people, why do we need to sleep? Why is sleep important? 
Well, this is a huge question. I mean, sleep is the most fundamental biological need. It's the foundation of health. They sort of say that it's one of the pillars of health. But actually, if you didn't sleep, you wouldn't be able to survive. And you would die quicker through a lack of sleep than you would a lack of food. So sleep is actually fundamentally important to every single cell in our body. We spend 30% of our lives asleep. So, you know, there must be some evolutionary sort of reason behind why we sleep. Otherwise, it's a ridiculous waste of time otherwise. So uh, it is the foundation of good health. And every single system in the body is affected by sleep. You know, I was talking to a client just yesterday, you know, and we were sort of trying to do an assessment and every single system that he was talking about, whether it's his kidneys, his heart, you know, his his lungs, absolutely everything was, was affected by sleep. It's just an extraordinary oversight, I think, on our behalf that we don't actually spend more time really discussing it. And I think, you know, certainly... And, and this is no fault of anyone's, but, you know, my husband is is, is one of these millions of GPs that, that was trained, you know, years ago. And they had two hours of sleep education in five years. And you just think for, for something that we do 30 percent of the time, that's absolutely bonkers. You know, that really is absolutely crazy. And there are so many sleep disorders that you just think, gosh, sort that out first. I know. And then yeah. everything else falls into place and it makes so much sense. Yeah. It's amazing how many times since basically I got involved with this that we've been talking that we have found that a lot of the clinical conditions that patients suffer from could be yeah. taken care of if their sleep is taken care of. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's the lack of sleep that basically causes a lot of these issues. So some of the things we've covered during this course that you will find in our content is insomnia. Sure. What are the kind of things that we can look out for for a patient who comes in who is suffering from insomnia? The first sort of thing to try and ascertain is... I mean, one of the things, you know, you've got to make sure that it actually is insomnia because it can look like insomnia, but actually be other sleep disorders. There's 81 different sleep disorders to choose from. And insomnia is only one sleep disorder. But when people sort of say, right, I'm having trouble sleeping, the very first thing is to try and ascertain whether it's a new problem, how long have they been having trouble sleeping, whether it's actually started suddenly and because it's a sort of like a stress issue or bereavement or change of lifestyle or some sort of sudden type of presentation and then you're looking at more of an acute sort of insomnia and acute insomnia would, would be is, is a nasty piece of work it's just sort of days and days with, with very very little sleep the difference then between that and a chronic insomnia is chronic insomnia would be diagnosed if it's gone on for more than three days of the week for more than three months and so that's your deciding factor so when they sort of say oh well I've had this problem for years then you think okay you know you're starting to look at a chronic insomnia and that's treated in a different way to a, an acute insomnia so you know you're looking at is it a problem getting to sleep so they've got problems with sleep initiation is it a problem staying asleep so they've got sleep maintenance difficulties 
or is it difficulty with sort of early morning wakening and you know uh, and you can have all three or you usually you just get one or two it's pretty unlucky if you've got the whole lot but it's mainly just sort of one or the other sometimes even for, for people who are having difficulty getting to sleep they sort of say right you know I'm just going to get a really early night now and I'm, I'm just going to get into bed at eight and I'm just going to sort of really try and crack this insomnia that is actually the worst thing that you can possibly do and even just get one sentence of giving them advice just to say look if you're a bit of a night owl and if you're normally going to bed at sort of midnight and you try and get into bed at eight o'clock you will not go to sleep. (laughs) And then you start to think that you've got a sleep problem where actually you haven't, you know. So just things like going to bed later, but getting up at the same time every day, you know, just just really, really, you know, there's a whole set of really basic advice that, you know, you can give that will set them on the on the road. And that might just be enough that that might just sort of really get them back on track. If it's a longer term problem, it might need more assessment and it might need sort of investigations. And there's a whole list of other medical disorders, diabetes, thyroid problems, all that sort of stuff that, you know, you would go through. But, you know, certainly when they're presenting in a pharmacy, you just really want to get to grips with how long has the problem been going on and what actually is the problem? I mean, that is great because I think one thing that usually happens in a pharmacy is when we have a patient that presents with any sleep because sleep is usually presented as a social issue more than a clinical issue so we kind of treat it as you can't sleep here's a tablet to help you sleep which i'm not a big fan of because a lot of the things that i've learned during this learning is that a lot of the treatment that patients need is actually not pharmaceutical it's usually advice exactly yeah And, and that makes a lot more difference yeah. I mean, certainly in an acute situation, yeah. you know, there are medications that can be really, really helpful. And, and you know, that can really, you know, you could use something on a short term basis, that would be fine. But, you know, when you're getting your patients in for the sort of the 10th year of having Zopiclone or whatever it is, you know, you're starting to think, hang on a minute, you know, what, what what's actually going on here? You know, that this is this really is not the treatment for an insomnia I think like not just as clinicians, but as the public, really, we have a very limited understanding of how we should sleep. We've kind of been told when it comes to our health, what we should eat, what we should drink, how much exercise we should have. But there's a very limited messaging out there of how we should sleep. So if you were to advise myself on what would be the best way for me to sleep? Sure. Really, you're sort of looking at... To start with, lifestyle sort of changes, maybe. I mean, say, for example, the first thing to do would be to think about, um, I mean, good good sleep starts in the day. Sleep is a 24-hour process. It doesn't just sort of, you know, the parts of our brain that are actually asleep on and off in the day. So it, it isn't just at night. The most important thing, the strongest trigger for sleep is light. And so the very first thing is getting out in the daylight first thing in the morning. And if you can't do that, and this is what was going on in the lockdown. I mean, insomnia rates went from 8% to 40% throughout the lockdown. You know, massive, massive change in, in sleep routine. And people just will not going outside because they couldn't, you know. <laughs> so the, the, the amount of daylight that they were getting first thing in the morning 
which was just completely dropping through the floor. So if it's not possible to, to get out and, you know, for, for whatever reason that is, using a daylight lamp can be really, really helpful. So a little blast of, you know, 20, 30 minutes in front of a daylight lamp, which is about 10,000 lux, you know, that can really set your sleep-wake cycle and switch off your melatonin, which is your sleep hormone. Then, you know, obviously monitoring your sort of your caffeine intake. I mean, the caffeine clearance is 12 to 18 hours. People think, oh, I don't, I don't have Drinking much beyond sort of six in the evening. Well, you think, well, six in the evening, that's going to take you to six in the morning. So you've just disrupted most of your night's rest, yeah. really, just by, by having a lot of caffeine. So hanging on to your caffeine until, you know, not having anything till sort of after after lunch would be great. Winding down in the evening, if you just sort of imagine a plane taking off and you think, well, that goes along a runway, doesn't it? You know, yeah. that goes along a runway and then just gradually increases. Well, if you suddenly get into bed and you've just had a really busy day, your head's full of, of patients that you've been talking to all day and you just hop into bed and you expect to sleep, then that it's, it's unlikely that that's going to happen. And, you know, so just really winding down before you, even if it means that you're going to bed a bit later, just, just winding down really, really steadily throughout your evening is, is going to be really, really helpful. The other thing that they've just sort of recently focused on a little bit more is actually, and this is really hard to do for you, for you guys sort of working in a very busy pharmacy, but it, it's this notion that you should actually pause your thinking through the day you know so so you should actually spend some time just sort of free thinking daydreaming i mean the chances yeah. of you guys daydreaming in pharmacy i think it's probably remote but yeah. you know it, it's just a nice idea isn't it but the, mm. the idea being is that it's pretty much like our brains get like a coke bottle and you imagine getting a coke bottle and you shake it shake, shake it. it all up and then you just take the top off at night and then the whole thing spills out, doesn't it? Yeah. Whereas if you've just had moments during your day just to wind down really, really, just, just for a couple of minutes, just look out the window, just take your mind off what you're doing, just in a lunch break or whatever, on the loo, whatever. You know, it's just, just allowing your your thoughts just to come out rather than bottle up. So yeah. that, you know, you're, you're, I mean, that's easier said than done when you're working in the <laughs> NHS, honestly. You know, it's just enough to finish anybody off. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, there is one thing that I would love for you to clear up for me, which is screen time. Okay, yeah. I'm one of those people that gets home, has my dinner, and basically just sits in front of the TV, watching the news and just laying the TV going. I usually doze off in front of the TV. Now, all my friends tell me that's wrong. My partners tell me that's, that's wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's got to the point where I've taken the TV out of the bedroom, so there is no TV. Well done. Bedroom, but I Good still fall asleep in the couch now. Instead of going, it's, um, and I wake up and then I go straight onto my phone. How bad is that? And what should I be doing instead when it comes to screen? Okay. Well, this, this is a bit of a sort of a, a, a controversial one, this one really, because at one point everyone got really upset about light and screens and just said, look, you must not go anywhere near your screen. Yeah, it's not particularly helpful, but they did a research project with some some teenagers and they found that their sleep time, you know, sleep onset, so time to actually get to sleep, was delayed by about 10 minutes or so. 
just by looking at light. But saying that, it's the scrolling and it's the scrolling that really makes you alert. And it's the sitting in there and then you think, you know, I don't know if you look at your emails or you look at social media or what you do. But if you look at your emails, you suddenly think, oh, my goodness, I've got to go to respond to this tomorrow. Or set off all of your thinking process all over again. So you've just given your Coke bottle another shake. (laughs) So it's it's just trying to sort of really hang on to that. But saying that. If you use your phone to listen to music, to go on headspace, to to just really, really wind down, yeah. then the phone, the device itself is not all evil. You know, it, it, it is just a case of modifying how much you're scrolling on it, really, because it's just the, the light that's flicking on it. But, I mean, regarding sort of falling asleep on the sofa, I mean, mm. the problem with that is that if you imagine – there's sort of three elements that you really need to fit together to make sleep happen. You've got sleep drive, so that's your need for sleep. You've got body clock, which is the timing of your sleep. And then you've got a mindset. Now, if you're looking at sleep drive, which is your need for sleep, if you imagine a balloon, you've got a deflated balloon first thing in the morning. Everything that you do throughout your day goes to inflate your balloon. Okay, so it's absolutely bursting at night. And then the idea is that you fall asleep and you stay asleep. Mm -hmm. If you've fallen asleep on the sofa, what you've just done is just released a little bit of air from your (laughs) balloon. So, you know, your sleep drive has just dropped a wee bit. So you'll get to sleep, but you might not stay asleep. If you've got patients who are coming in with sleep maintenance problems, Mm -hmm. it's really worth sort of saying, right, just be careful. You don't fall asleep on the sofa because you just and don't nap during the day. That's that's a very unpopular message, I know, for a lot of people. (laughs) But, you know, if you're having problems sleeping, napping is just going to deflate your balloon completely. So. If you can hang on, if you get to that point where you just think you're falling asleep on the sofa, think, I think I must be tired. You know, I, I think it's time that I went to bed. And so maybe just think, right, up I go. And um, you might wake up for a few minutes, but it won't take you that long before you hit the hay and, and you'll be gone. So, yeah, you never know. That might help. <laughs> That, that is very good advice. I am definitely going to do that. I want to let me right. know. Let me know. Okay. Yeah, I'll keep you posted. <laughs> we also talked about when I was talking to Adrian and some of the other guys about the effect sleep has on mental health, basically lack of sleep and the rebound effect when it's not treated. Because I think a lot of time we look at sleep in a silo. Yeah. So. Is it worth with a lot of our mental health patients or with patients that do present with mental health like anxiety and all, would you say it's always worth looking at their sleep as part of their treatment? Absolutely, 100%. Every single mental health diagnosis has got an element of sleep disturbance within it. And for very, very good reason. When you actually look at the sort of the way that we sleep, we sleep in cycles of 90 minutes, And each sleep cycle is absolutely vitally important for a different function, might be sort of cell repair, might be 
memory, might be processing, whatever. Earlier on, it's sort of in the early hours of the morning, um, we go through a lot more REM sleep. So that's rapid eye movement sleep. And it's during that rapid eye movement sleep that we emotionally regulate ourselves. So if you're missing out on sleep, then by default, your factory setting is going to be that you are going to have more difficulties emotionally regulating yourself, which is why after a bad night, you can feel a bit teary, you can feel a bit low in mood, you can feel right. a bit overwhelmed, yeah. and that has got an accumulative sort of effect. And so, you know, the, sleep and mental health just cannot be separated on any form at all. Now, if you try and improve that, that may not necessarily wave them. It's not a magic wand necessarily. I'm not saying that everyone, you know, with a mental health illness is just like that because they're not sleeping but certainly that will dramatically improve their recovery if they are able to properly emotionally regulate themselves and I think you know it's worth also bearing in mind when you do you know I'm sure you guys do loads of sort of medication reviews you know people on antidepressants the problem with antidepressants is that they don't allow you to go through this really sort of normal natural sleep cycle and say so you get a sort of slightly blunted sleep cycle, which is totally bonkers, completely bonkers, because you have less ability to emotionally regulate yourself just when you actually need it the most. So sleep is absolutely, completely fundamental to mental health completely. So and, you know, I'm sure Adrian and the others probably spoke about obstructive sleep apnea, you know, yeah. because that, that can be misdiagnosed and totally missed. And that one of the symptoms is depression is because they are, you know, people are so amazingly sleep deprived because the quality of their sleep is so, is so, so disturbed and fragmented that that's going to knock on, have a knock on effect to their emotional regulation. So yeah, it's completely key. Yeah. Thank you. That really breaks it and explains it to me. This has been a really interesting. I'd basically love to talk to you like all day about this. And I'm sure we'll have loads of questions. So if you have any questions that you'd, you'd like Joanna to pick up, please feel free to leave us the questions. Leave us in the comments below. We'll try and pick it up with Joanna again. But at the moment, this is all that, that we have time for. Thank you so much, Joanna. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. I've really learned a lot. And for all the pharmacists listening, please do visit the bedroom in the CND community and check out the BSPSS for more training because I think this is a space where we can really help patients and we can really make a difference. Once again, big thank you, Joanna. Thank you very much. No problem at all. You're very welcome. Lovely to speak to you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you and goodbye.